Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning, Hillside. Welcome. We are so glad that you're all here. If you're a guest in your bulletin, there's a section that you can complete and take back to the Connect area. Pastor Pete would love to have the opportunity to meet you and just shake shake your hand. And he even has a small gift for you today just for being here. And if you are a guest or even if you've been attending Hillside for a while, we have a Go class process that it kind of helps you find out more about Hillside and helps you get connected to people and find out more about all of our service opportunities opportunities to serve here at Hillside, and it's also a process to become a member and a partner here at Hillside, which is required to lead a ministry here. The first class is called Go Discovery, which is provided twice a month during the 915 service in the Fireside Room, and to sign up for that class, you can go online or stop by the Connect area, and our next class is going to be offered on September uh, the 23rd, and that's next Sunday. Let's talk about a few things coming up around here at Hillside while our ushers come down to receive our offering this morning. Our senior high students have a really fun event coming up at the end of September. It's going to be on Saturday the 29th, and it's called Senior Highland Games. It's going to be a really fun night of team building. They have lots of competitive challenges uh, planned, so be sure to sign up your uh, senior high student, and you can do so online. This is kind of a quick save the date for our upcoming Hillside Golf Tournament that we're going to be hosting on Saturday, October the 13th. This is something that we used to have every year, and it's been a while since we've uh, been able to organize one, so we're really excited about offering this again. And you can do so by going online and registering, and you can save your spot. And you want to do so as soon as possible because those spots do fill up really quickly. Baptism services are just around the corner on Sunday, October the 28th. Our kids go through a really uh, great class here at Hillside just to prepare them for baptism, and it's called Jumpstart. And it's just a class to kind of explain what baptism's all about, just so they thoroughly understand um, what that is before they actually get baptized. The two classes that we offer are offered um, both on a Sunday after second service, um, and you can sign up for those online. And the classes are going to be offered on October the 7th, 7th and October the 14th. And last but not least, we have Pastor Pete, and he's going to share with us about a volunteer opportunity that we have coming up. Well, good morning. How are you? You good? All right, we need you. Okay, we need you. A couple areas. Uh, ushers are one of them. Um, we're going to sort of reboot our ushers, and we need some, uh, some more bodies. Ladies, you're invited. Usherettes for the first time. No, we have at least one lady who, who serves uh, with our ushers, but we could really use some, and we could use uh, more. We just we need more ushers. So um, today after the service, all you got to do is go to the connect area over here. Just say in the bulletin, hey, I'd like to help on Sunday mornings. You know, we have first, second service. Uh, I'd like to help on Sunday mornings and put your name on there. Take the card to them and they'll help you. We also need parking lot guys, especially in the second service. Gals as well. Any uh, Same thing. Um, especially the second service. So right before and after the second service would be really helpful. So if you've been sort of wondering what to do, those are very uh, important ministries around here on a Sunday morning. They're very strategic ministries on a Sunday morning. Uh, and, and we need lots of folks in them. So you need 8 to 10 on a Sunday morning, 12 if we're doing communion. So it's, it's pretty significant for ushers. And then for the parking lot guys, of course, that's just an 
awesome ministry in and of itself. The impact that has is crazy. So if you would like to get connected and you'd like to help with that, please go to the connect area and help us. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to announce it every week till we fill them. I'm just going to announce it every single week till we get it. So maybe you're saying, I don't think God spoke to me today. Well, he might next week. We're going to bring it up again. You never know. You never know. You know, when I think of that song, by the way, when I, when I listen to, you know, rock and roll music or anything like that, I hear, you know, because music I grew up on and love and, and, and love a lot, I hear spiritual things in them all the time. So uh, I'm always rewriting words, trying to get them to sing songs, and that's one of them. I think of, I think a fellow I told you about, Russian novelist and philosopher Dostoevsky in the 19th century. He was going through what he called the hellfire of doubt about his faith and um, had a moment where he came across Hans Holbein's painting, uh, Descent from the Cross. And he was looking at this picture of Christ laid in the tomb. And all of a sudden, the crucifixion and the resurrection just came to him like he was at at the crossroad. And in that moment, he, he said, um, he had this thought that all of a sudden, the universe opened up to him. And he said, if Christ really died on a cross for the reason that he said he did, and rose again, then that would take this whole sort of mechanistic, meaningless universe that we live in, and it would blow the lid right off of it. And that is what sort of prompted him to become a believer. So it's a great story, uh, and I think of it when I, when I think of that song. And it doesn't matter who you are. Maybe you're in here today, and you're on this journey. Maybe you're reluctantly on the journey. You don't want to be on this journey, but something's drawing you in. That's God, and he'll bring you to this point, and eventually you see what Jesus has done for you, and it overrides everything you've ever thought and felt about everything. That's what happens when you come to Christ. Uh, So we're talking, you know, we're we're in a series about sharing our faith effectively with the people around us. And this is extremely important. And so we have committed to spending significant time across this church on this topic. Last week, we sort of broached into the practical, what does it look like? And we came across Mark chapter 4, which gives us an agricultural picture that pictures us as farmers, those of us who are in the kingdom, under Christ's reign, we're sort of pictured as farmers. And we are to the kingdom what farmers are to a harvest. What does it take to be a farmer, decide to be a farmer, to one day actually reaping a harvest and everything in between that? That's this picture. Jesus depicts the kingdom like that. It's like someone who spreads seed on the ground. Goes to sleep, gets up, night and day, the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how it happens. It's, it's, it's mysterious. And uh, by itself, the soil produces a crop, organic. There's the stalk, the head, the full grain in the head. And, and when the grain is ripe, he sends in the sickle because the harvest has come. It's just the process. It's just, it's just the process. Can't bypass it, can't get around it, can't skip it, you can't hurry it. It's how the kingdom works. It doesn't, Christ doesn't enter anyone's life as a flamethrower. 
It lands on your heart like a seed lands on soil. Your heart, in God's mind, is like soil. And there are things growing around it. And he understands that this is going to be a process. And so what he'll do is he'll put a farmer in your life. He'll put someone in your life that makes a difference, that opens your eyes to things you were never open to. That's how almost all of us came to Christ. Someone, you could all fill the blank in here. I came to Christ because of, and then fill in the blank with a name. It was my dad. His life, his new, where he'd come, everything about his life opened me to something. I wasn't open to it. There, there was no preparation. I didn't have anything. I just got exposed to a life, and I got exposed to Christ because of it. So, every farmer knows. The seed, that's sort of not that difficult to spread seed, and harvest is exciting. But before you can do either of those, you got to plow. And last week, we sort of opened up the world of plowing as it relates to being effective out in the world sharing Christ. And you got to plow. And uh, I was reading this summer a book called Disruptive Witness. It was great. And in it, the writer um, says this, Alan Noble says this about planting and sowing. He says, planting is a calm act. It's very gentle. This is as soft as a seed landing on dirt. And then harvesting, of course, is, is it's a joyful time. But plowing, he writes, is violent. It's disruptive. It's exhausting. It unsettles the ground. It softens by tearing up. And I remember reading that, and I remember it having a profound effect on me, and he does a good job of talking about culture and, and how we do that. But the reality is, is that when a farmer decides to, you know, work a piece of land, he's going to have to pull weeds, he's going to have to uproot maybe trees or big plants, he's going he's to have to move rocks, there's going to be deep, sort of excruciatingly hard ones to get out, and then there's going to be a, a mess of little ones that just sort of are uh, nuisance They're just a nuisance. They're just all around, laying around, making everything difficult. That's kind of how the human heart is. Um, And so we got to work through these things as we're trying to impact people. And he writes this at one point in the book that uh, I kind of like to say it here at the beginning, and then we can, we'll refer to it a couple of times, but he writes this. Bearing witness like this is different. We need a method of living in light of the gospel that unsettles people from their stupor. The way we communicate our faith must do three things, he says. Puncture the buzz of modern life. Everybody's hustling and bustling and they're all on social media and they all have their phones and you can't drive a car without a phone in your face. And there's just everything is just a buzz of technology. There's data and information and, and, and visual stimulation, and it's just a buzz. He calls it a hum that just happened. You've got to live the kind of witness that pokes through that in a person's brain before they can ever concentrate on something other than all of the many voices in their head. Then he says, not only the buzz of modern life, but the thinness of belief. 
That's just those little rocks that cover the soil, that are just in the way. They're just a lot of things we've picked up along the way, ideas and notions from experiences we've had that we believe that we've never really pressed or teased out all the way to their logical conclusion to go, I don't think that, I've been believing that all my life, but I don't think that holds water. We haven't done that. So he calls that a thinness of belief. You've got to live the kind of life that can poke through that thin belief and force people to look harder at who they are. And then he says, not only are you going to puncture the buzz of modern life and the thinness of belief, but the closed eminent frame. This he picked up from Charles Taylor, a modern philosopher, who says that we all live in this little box and we got the whole universe right here. And some people live without God in, outside of that box. All they have is what's in the box. They just look at the naturalistic, materialistic world, and it's all they have. And somehow you've got to live a life that punctures through that frame and reveals that there's something beyond it. That kind of life. That's disruptive. It's disruptive to overcome that buzz. It's disruptive to poke through the thin beliefs people possess. And it's disruptive to break open the little box that I've been living in all my life. That's what he calls witness. And then he says, and poke through our attempts at crafting identities and narratives of our own. Everybody's trying to find out who they are and what their story is. And God has no part in figuring out who that identity is and where, that's, where that story is going. And he says, you've got to live a life that disrupts all of that. That's a heck of a challenge. I told you at the beginning of this series, this is going to hurt. And I want to show you how it's going to hurt a little bit here in just a second. Um, when we talk about plowing, I said last week just a few things about plowing. Uh, because I think Paul brings this up at the end of Colossians where he says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Make the most of the opportunities. Let your speech always, speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Literally, that's what it says, each one. Because they're all unique. There's no pat answers. You're not walking around with a pat answer. You're just, you're just relating to people in a way and figuring out where they're at. That's why Paul says, you know, you got to walk with wisdom. You're, you're living the gospel. Wisdom, <laughs> Lord have mercy. We got the wrong color here. Let's see if that helps. There we go. Uh, so you're conducting yourself. This word literally means walk. And so here's our walk and talk image. And you, you, you got to walk, conduct your life with wisdom. In other words, he could just say live the Christian life, but with wisdom because you're, 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 you're ministering to people, outsiders, people who don't have what you have or know what you know. And so you've got to figure out how to do that. So you can't just live your, put your head down and live your moral, nice Christian life. No, you've got to be wise. You've got to know when to speak up, when not to. You've got to know when to engage and when to back off. You've got to know how far to go and how, how, when to stay away. It takes much more sensitivity and strategy. That's why you got to do it with wisdom. Because every heart is unique. Some have big rocks, little ones. Uh, some have been worn down and worn over, and some of them have been hurt. Each person is different. You've got to be an incredible listener. 
You can't just have a pat answer in your hand. That's tough. And you got to walk a life that literally can poke through whatever is going on in this outsider's life. The buzz, the hum, the thinness of belief, the imminent frame, the identity and search for a story. It's all going on in all of us. Live the kind of life that creates an opportunity. When you get one person living like that and, and, and around others who don't know that, opportunities occur. And you got to walk. So that walk creates the opportunity, and then you get to talk. So we, we had our small group meeting this week, and something happened in it I want to share with you, but I want to show you this first because Paul is saying this is the reason why we put together a book, and the staff killed themselves to put that together, and then created groups, and many of you just stepped up to lead one, and many of you joined a group, and you have never been in a group. The reason we did that was because this is a community-wide project. It's not something you're doing on your own. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield said, don't, don't run out and try to start your own random kindness campaign. You're in a community. We need each other to pull this off. And I really saw that in our small group this week as we launched into that study. Paul says, while you're praying, hey, pray for me, pray for us, that God would Open a door. Pray that God opens a door for the message so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. This is why I'm in jail, you know, this, for the reason I'm in prison for proclaiming this. Pray again so that I make it known as I should. Now that's going to take a lot of thought. and Looking for doors. Some doors are ajar. Some doors are cracked. Some doors are just sort of, you know, partially opened. Some are tight. And you've got to figure out how to do that. And it takes prayer and strategy and effort. And you've got to be living the kind of life that jars a door. Where a door comes open that hasn't been open. So pray for us. So we were in our small group this, this wonderful time together. And uh, everybody was going. We have one fellow in our group who I love and been in together in community and friendship for a long time. And he was kind of quiet. And at the end, he just piped up. Very honest. It was one of those moments in your group that you, you sense, here's a moment. Because he says, look, I'm, uh, he's got his booklet open and he writes the four circles. He said, look, I, I made the circles of influence. I know these people in my life, these people, these people, these people. And he goes, I could probably share it with these people, but I don't know if I could share it with these people. just sort of hung there. Like, I don't know if I've, I've lived the way I ought to live in front of this group. And by the way, when you're trying to figure out whether your life is what God wants it to be, you know, because you're probably always some consciously or subconsciously asking, am I who I ought to be? Well, I'll tell you what, if you bring up Christ around people, would they laugh at you? That'd be a great measure. It'd be a great measure if the people around you say, yeah, we, I don't see the connection. It's huge. And so this was a moment where you, 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 
you, you want to encourage. And at the same time, you want to say, this is, this is the moment of challenge. Because he literally said, this whole series and this book have me thinking of only one thing. And that is the quality of my own life. John Stott said this, nothing shuts the mouth, seals the lips, and ties the tongue of a Christian more than the secret poverty of their own spiritual experience. Nothing will shut you up faster than a life that doesn't match the words. And so you got to have a life worth inviting someone into. When you invite them into your life, what are they going to see? You go to church once every three months, uh, yeah, what are they going to see? I mean, because you're going to bring them into this community. When, I, when I'm trying to influence someone in my circle of concern, I'm bringing them here. This is where I'm bringing them. I, I better have a vibrant connection to this community. It can't be just about me. I'm not on my own solo campaign out there trying to influence people. It's, it, it's connected to here and who we are. And so I've got to have the kind of life that we go, well, what, what are you inviting me into? Because if you're only trying to give me something that's going to work when I'm dead, that only matters when I die, you know, heaven, that's not really what I'm after. There's more to it than that. So you've got to have a, a, a life that's greater than that. In fact, you might have to start out with a conversation like this. Maybe one of those circles of influence is your family. And you've lost some of your ability to speak to them. You, the platform is disintegrated because of the way you've treated them. And you might have to start over at your job with a little conversation in the break room that goes something like this. I jotted it down. Hey, guys, I need to say something to you. I love God, but I haven't shown it much. I just want you to forgive me. Because from this day forward, because you guys matter so much to me, I I need you to know that I'm sorry. And you you can expect to see someone different. I'm going to tell you what, coffee's going to spill. But maybe your family's been waiting to hear that from you for a decade. And that's where you have to start. That's an okay place to start. So Paul says, pray for each other. This is the strategic time. You get together in a small group. It's about walking and talking. We're we're praying about it. So now we're praying for this person, but all of our group, that we're living the kind of life that can poke holes through some of the stuff that we're dealing with in culture. That kind of life. John Calvin, I read this uh, before the summer, used to bolt the doors shut when everybody left the church. Used to bolt the doors shut, say, get out. You had your little time in here now? Get out there and live the life. It was his way of saying it's, it's extremely important that you envision a godly life outside of these doors. Don't come back till you've done it. I thought it was great. And in our small groups, you know, we get together, you know, I know, you know, we, we, we tend to, we tend to, and I've, I've 
I do it. We just tend to sit around and just sort of, yeah, I don't know. How's everybody doing? You good? Is your job good? Is your leg feeling better? You're like, hey, those things are important. I'm not saying they're not, but I'm just saying we need to be praying for power for one another and strategic uh, life, the, live the kind of life that's going to make a difference out there. Far more strategic and passion. So when we left our small group, we prayed for one another. I'm going to tell you what we prayed for before we left and what our challenge was because it's going to be a challenge for you at the end of this talk. Now, what I want to do for just a few minutes is give you a few illustrations of what plowing looks like. Because I told you last week it means earning trust and it means arousing curiosity. This is where you apply a little pressure, you know, to that buzz and to that, you know, imminent frame and that uh, thin belief in people's life. Now, one of the things that's immediately first, we've just spent all this time, is lifestyle. Your lifestyle alone will get people's attention if, it's, if it sticks out enough, if it's different. And I don't mean weird. Not weird people. Not judgmental people. Just people with different values and priorities who are still loving and accepting. That will stick out. All you have to do, we said last week, simple and not cuss. Cody Bland, one of our tech, our tech guy here, he, you know, our creative arts pastor, he says, he, you know, he's a gamer. You know, he's one of these gamers. Okay? He plays these games. And he's good enough now where actually people pay him to play the game live on the Internet. And so people enter into the game with him and they watch him. And he gets paid hours to play. And people are watching him and it's interface and it's all, you know, live. And so people are interacting like this. And, you know, and eventually, eventually he gets this. Why don't you cuss from two or three of the players? And there's hundreds. Why don't you cuss? And he gets to, uh, gets to tell him a little bit, just enough. Can't say too much. He gets to tell him a little bit. And then pretty soon, they realize this is a different guy. And so he's got people calling in saying, hey, will you pray for my dad? Hey, will you, uh, hey, could I talk to you? I'm a preacher's kid. And I went, that's the worst thing you could possibly be. <laughs> That's the worst thing you can possibly be. And he goes, I'm a preacher's kid, don't have a good relationship with my dad. Like to talk to you more about that. How much hurt do you think is under that kid's life? What do you think shut him out? And all we needed was a guy who didn't cuss to open him up. That's all we needed. To poke through the thin, all the little rocks of the thin beliefs and the hurt and all that. Just needed a life. Because a godly life is very much like a pickaxe. It can, it can move, it can crush even the deepest hurts and the, and the hardest beliefs. We have had atheists come to this church, staunch atheists, and walk right up to me and say, really appreciate you, your church taking care of our family under this particular crisis, and we wanted to come see and say hello. And meet the people of this church. It's amazing what that kind of care, love, and difference 
will do in someone's heart. And they'll set aside something they have bought into. We had this guy, uh, you know, where I take my car. Wherever you take your car. And I have a lot of cars in my family. Seven. So it's very, very difficult. And there's always a car issue. So the car people in my life, they're extended family. I know them. I know Jeff, Jason, and, G- and uh, Kevin out there. I've had them all to church at different times. I bring them lunch every now and then. We're family. And I don't even go through the front door to the guy at the desk anymore. I just walk back to the mechanics and say, I got a problem out there. Because I've gotten to know them, and they know I care about them. They know I love them. And, you know, Bill, who, over, who runs the place, the owner, was one of those guys that was pretty tough to reach because he, He's got a lot, a whole lot, and life's pretty good. And so I'd known him for a year and a half before he even found out I was a pastor, and that startled him because he said, pastors come through here all expecting a great deal, and you've never even brought it up to me. I sat down. He let me video interview him on why he doesn't go to church and why, if he were ever going to go, he would come to Hillside because I didn't do that to him. And he said, I will never come to your church. He did end up coming once to Easter. The only reason he did was because he knew I, just because of how I treated him. So I'm telling you, a life like that, if you're caring and serving and loving, it will open eyes and doors. We have a fella at our gym who, uh, I got a number of them that I, that I, Love, truly love. But I remember when this first guy started coming, um, I didn't know him very well. And we were connecting a little bit. And I, and I could tell there was just something different about him. And so I started to talk to him. And one day after a workout, I, I invited him to church. But it, it was too early to invite him. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't earned his trust or aroused his curiosity. So without even looking at me, he said, I don't do religion. He said, I don't go to church. He said, the only thing I'll do with religion is I'll learn something about it because I I don't mind learning. He's a bright kid. But I'm not going to church. Never even looked at me when he said it. I had to back off. It was too early. So I've just gotten to know him. And cared about him and figured out how I could be that person in his life. And, uh, and so one of the things you have to do when you're relating to people is say, how do I particularly serve this person? What would giving like this be to this person? What would caring look like for this person? Because it's different in every setting and every person is different. But I'm telling you, it will, it will, Everybody loves a servant. Everybody loves a giver. Everybody loves a caring person. It doesn't matter who you are. And so, uh, you know, in our gym, <laughs> when, you, when you're about to do a workout, you set up your own spot, okay? And we all go at the same time. And you got to walk over to a box and get collars, collar to go on the end of the bar so, you know, that locks the weights on. And there's only one set of good ones. 
there's 20 sets in there. There's only one set of good ones. Everybody knows who they are, and so they try to get them. But this particular guy loves these, and so I, so I decided that I would be the guy to go to the box and try to get those first, along with another set, and I would, and I would just always secretly walk over and hand them to him so he could have them. Because, you know, when you, you drop your weights, you don't want the weight to come loose because it'll slow you down. You have to stop and it was just one way that I could serve him. Our relationship has grown quite a bit. And uh, for somebody who said he would never come, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now, very soon he will be here. Very soon he will be here. Because God has created some incredible moments and opportunities. He, he will be here soon. And I'm thankful to God. But it's just because. It's just because. I'm not going to now he's saying, okay, so when are your services? How do you go from there? Just love, care, and giving. We have a guy in our uh, gym. We had a guy. He was one of our coaches. And, uh, and he's a young kid. He's 25 years old. And I, uh, I've known him for a while through my kids through high school and stuff. And he's, a, you know, great little athlete. Anyway, he's one of the coaches, and he coaches at another, coaching at another gym. And I had gotten there early. It was just the two of us sitting there. He had just finished a workout. He was a little bit tired. And I said, uh, he was, I'm laying on the floor with a, you know, with a uh, rolling my back out. And he is uh, sitting there on the floor breathing heavy. And I just asked him a question. Remember last week I said, you got to be a great question asker. I just asked him, I said, so what are you doing with your life? This was my little segue in. And he's like, what? I go, what are you doing with your life? You're coaching here a little bit? You coach somewhere else? I said, well, are you going to school? I said, do you have a better, bigger job somewhere else? What are you doing? How are you making it? And he said, oh, I'm barely making it. I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, I went to school before, but... I got about 60 hours, but then toward the end, I started to loaf, and this is a bright kid, by the way, and he just gave up. It wasn't doing well and failed, and his parents stopped helping him. Just stopped helping him. And I said, okay, so now, you have, so now you're just eking by? What do you want to do? Ah, I'd like to go to UNT, but TCC has now my transcripts, and they won't send them off. I owe 1200 bucks. I don't make enough money to get 1200 bucks to put together to get that. And I said, that's what's stopping you from your, the next phase of your life? He said, yeah. I said, well, what if, I, what, what if we got the $1,200 taken care of? What would you do then? And he sort of looked at me like, what? And what, what would you do? Listen, a week later, he walks in with a five-year plan. It's a five-year plan. And so at the time he was going, my son had just graduated UNT, had a job and a place. He was worked at a place where they gave him a place for free to work there I said Eric stepped out he ended up getting that job and going to school there now he's at school right now he's a psychology and philosophy major that's what he really loves and so we got to go to lunch and talk about psychology and philosophy interact with some of the issues in our culture today and I got to, to get him to read the Sermon on the Mount you know because that was probably the best thing to do with him by the time our conversation was done this week we're supposed to have a lunch to follow that up Okay, he's already at school and entrenched. He's nowhere around here anymore because he's there doing that now. And the doors have opened. 
And even though we philosophically we're not in the same place, he absolutely knows I love him. He absolutely knows I love him. That's how it works. And I don't know where God's going to lead that. All I know is I care about the kid. I text him every week to see how he's doing out there. He only gets back to me once every blue moon. He's ain't been this busy in in a while. So that that that's just how it works. And so every person in your life, you got to love them a certain way. Uh, sometimes you have, you get to build long relationships. I had a, a guy while I was in Florida, Gold's Gym. We joined the gym, you know, when we're there on break. And uh, so we all go as family. I met this and I started seeing this kid there. About 21 years old, big headphones, wore the most clothes, but I could tell he was fit. I'm like, what is he doing? Well, our paths met at one of the, work, one of the uh, exercises. And I was like, what are you doing? Your big smile. He was a good-looking kid. And I was like, what? I don't know. For some reason, he had my attention. So he pulls this thing aside. You know, that's what he did the whole time, you know, we ever talked. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I go, well, I go, you're doing different stuff in here. He says, well, I'm not, you know what a bodybuilding competition? I said, yes. I said, well, he goes, I don't do bodybuilding. This is more of an athletic kinds of competition where you're on stage and you're doing certain things. I didn't even really understand all it was. But he said, just finished one in L.A. Uh, or Las Vegas. I'm about to do one in L.A. I said, well, that's really terrific. So tell me about this exercise you're doing. And so we, for a couple of days, we got to do it. So I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to? I only have a few days with him. I don't have months with him, years with him. I just got to bring it up. I just got to figure it out. So I'm waiting for the final day, my last day there. He lives there. My last day there, and I'm going, man, I got to wait for him. So I'm on the rowing machine, and I'm waiting for him to get off the step, and I'm like dying because he won't get off. I'm like, where's he walking to? I was like, gosh, hurry up. So it took him forever to get off this machine. So I wait for him to get off, and I wait for him to be alone. And then I go over to him, you know, and he pulls in the earphone aside, and I'm talking to him about what his next deal is and that kind of thing, get his information. I said, look, I have four boys just like you. Love to work out. I said, uh, can I say something to you without intending to offend you in any way? I said, you're more than a body. I said, you have a soul. And then I said, uh, and then what I didn't say that I wish I had said was, I have found Christ to be someone you can trust with your soul. But I didn't get that out. Now, I have his email. His writing's horrible. I can't decipher it. I might as well be reading uh, Egyptian, something Egyptian. But I'm trying to get in touch with him because I want to be able to continue the conversation. But that's what I wish I had said, but I only got so far as to say, make sure you think. He was so receptive, so receptive. And uh, so then I am fly home to Florida a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to take Uber for the very first time. That's scary and complicated. And, and at, the, at, at, at Fort Lauderdale Airport, let me tell you, that place is buzzing now. It used to be a small airport. Now it's buzzing. And the area where you get on an Uber, oh, my Lord, it's a sea of them. I'm going, I hate Uber. I hate this whole thing. But here I am standing out there, you know, like I know what I'm doing, right? And Jack is on the way looking for me. And he goes, yeah, my windows will be rolled down. This will be on. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how many cars are just like his with the windows down? 
So I finally get in his car, and we're driving, and I'm thinking to myself, where can this conversation go? So I just start asking Jack questions. And I want to know about his life. Why does he drive? When does he do it? What, does he have another job? Man, just, i got 25 minutes. Finally, he says, my, my mom, my mom, I, 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 I'm living with my mom because she's not doing very well, and she's right now, she's kind of lonely. He let that slip. Let that come out. And so I, this is my, this is the one spot I had. I said, do you go to, does she go to church anywhere, Jack? You know, very matter-of-factly. And he said, no, you know, we used to when I was little. We don't anymore. And then I threw something out there I never throw out there. I said, well, I'm a pastor. I never say that, ever. People could come to this church for a year. They'll they'll know me for a year and a half and and be invited to church. Won't find out I'm the pastor until they get here. I don't tell people. I'll tell you why in a minute. But uh, I said I'm a pastor, and I'm hoping that it will make him ask a question or even elicit a confession. You know, like confess something to me, Jack. (laughs) But it didn't happen. Jack didn't say anything. And so we got out of the car, and I told him, hey, Jack, man, have a good night. I'll pray for your safety. That's all I could do with Jack. I only had 25 minutes with him. That's as far as I could go with Jack. Um, so that's what we're doing. That's all we're doing. We're just listening, loving, serving, caring every way we can to the people in our lives, genuinely loving them. Do not skip over that. Uh, the reason I don't tell anybody I'm a pastor is years ago I, I had, uh, in case you haven't heard this story, you may have. It's my favorite story to ever tell in my whole life. So if you've never heard this story... This is the story of Dick Leonard inviting me to play golf with his oil buddies. We were going to go to the Colonial, watch the golf tournament. So we go to the golf tournament. And then, uh, so, and so they decided we're all going to play golf. We had two teams of four. We're going to play golf, and then we're going to uh, go to lunch, and then we're going to go out to the Colonial and walk around. Okay, so we get there early. These guys are fun, and he's introducing me to everyone, and you can tell everybody's a little nervous, you know, past, because he says, here's the pastor. Here's the reason I don't do it. Here's the pastor. So the whole time, the cussing, every time somebody cusses, hey, sorry, Pete, every time. So I mean, if you're the pastor, everybody's, every time you cuss, somebody's going to say, oh, I'm sorry, Pete, and I don't want to hear it. So, um, so we're going, and I'm, that's all happening, and then there's lunch, and they, they all started drinking Way too early, and drank through lunch. And by the time we got to Colonial, there was a, there was, it was, you know, I was the sober guy. All right, so I'm walking with these guys through the through neighborhoods because we had to park out in the boonies, and uh, we're all just sort of separated, walking through cars, navigating our way through the street. And there was a guy sort of up in the front, and. I, I remember walking up directly beside him, about four feet apart from each other, just looking ahead and walking. And he turns to me. He was a little bit, you know, he was gone a little bit. And he looks over at me and he says, can you believe Dick brought his pastor? <laughs> this is literally what he says to me. And you could hear the, the, all ten guys just... For a minute, take a deep breath, okay? Two died. Two died that day. I just wanted you to know, two died. And he says, 
And I look at them, I go, no, I can't believe you did that. And then they all catch up to us. We've laughed. He's so, he hates seeing me. Whenever he sees me now, it's like, oh, my gosh. So I never tell anybody I'm a pastor. So let me close. Let me wrap this up by giving you this exhortation. But let me tell you this. Did you, when I left on June 24th, 25th, I think, 24th was my last Sunday. On June 23rd, those soccer players in Thailand were stuck in that cave. I don't know if you followed that as closely as I did, but it was an intriguing story. I was overwhelmed. I just, first of all, all my fears of that moment of being one of the, if I was the coach, those poor kids would have had to bury me, right? They would have had to bury me, poor guy, because it just scared me to death to have been down in there. And so I couldn't, I was on the edge of my seat every day because every day there seemed to be this, what are they going to do? What are they going to do to get these guys out? And, you know, you had the looming waters coming because there was waters flooding through. You can see there's the cave right there. I mean, there are tight spots, 15 inches, pitch black. You're two and a half miles from the cave opening. You've got water flowing hard, hard toward the boys. So they've got to swim upstream. They don't know how to swim or dive. Um, Time's running out. And I mean, I'm like, how are they going to get, I saved every single article written each day. I was so overwhelmed by this story. And how they were bringing in experts and all these guys, and and, and they even lost a guy trying to figure out how to get to them. And they finally, finally come out with a plan. I remember when the first four kids came out. I was like, you got to be kidding. What did they do in their strategy was uh, to put each kid on a stretcher and strap him there with a mask on while the diver in the front of the stretcher held his tank. And then there was a diver on the back end of the stretcher holding. Did you guys all know this? Did you guys know all this? Okay, in case you didn't know this, this is how they carried those guys out. Nine hours to get to the, with the first four kids, it took nine hours to get them to the edge of this thing. They had to sedate the kids. So these kids are part out of it, breathing. That's how they had to get me out of there. <laughs> Knock me out. Because <laughs> I don't want to see, hear anything. And I couldn't believe what they came up with. That divers stationed at different places, tanks stationed at different places to get them out. And I just thought, oh my God, what an incredibly beautiful picture of the effort, intensity, and strategy that goes in to rescue people in certain situations. You know, in all of our lives, we've got people in our lives, they're all coming at a different situation in their life, and you've got to figure out, how do, I, how do they see God in that situation? And you're trying to bring that to them. So here's, here's what we said as a small group. Listen, we've got seven days. In the next seven days, here's what you've got to be doing. You've got to be Praying, we're praying for each other and praying that God opens a door for each of us. That we figure out, strategize, who do we serve, love, or give to? Proactive initiative into someone's life that starts to push against that buzz and that eminent frame. 
those thin beliefs. So how are you going to serve someone? Ask a question. You may have to start with an apology. But by the time we all get together in the next seven days, every one of us should have a story of something, some step we took. Don't you agree with that? Or else, what are we doing? Just having fun in here and then leaving? Just some story. Just ask God to give it to you. How do I serve, love, give, care? Strategically to the people that are in my life. Next week, we'll step to the next point of this, planting. We're just plowing now. How do we plant? What does planting look like? Now, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, here's what you need to know. God's probably put a farmer in your life. I'm here because of, and it's God's way of saying, I'm after you. I'm after you. And what you got to look at is you got to look at my son and the cross and what he did for me. When you realize what he's done for you, it changes your whole world. Nothing stays the same. You say, well, what do I do with that? You, you ask God. It starts with asking God to forgive you, save you. God, I, I'll never be right with you without you. Thank you for doing what you did for me. I surrender my life to you. That's what I'm saying to God. That's what I said. So, Darius, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the people in this room. Lord, I love every one of them. And each one of us are trying together to be what you want us to be. And some of us are just in uh, tough, tough situations with people. Give them wisdom, Lord. And some of them are, are trying to just get their own act together. And maybe this is the time to do that. Figure out what it is God has done for each of us so that we can live it in front of others. I pray you'll bless the efforts of this community. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.